Player King, Episode 9. What wound did ever heal but by degrees? Hamlet gets redeemed, the usurpers receive some just desserts, and Tom receives some life-affirming training from Shakespeare and Company in Lenox, Massachusetts. You directed it like a detective story, and I remember this very clearly. Um, because you kept saying to us, it, it, it's Hamlet, it's got to have laughs, and it also has to move. So literally in that, uh, uh, again, I played Horatio in that production, you could feel, it felt like a mystery. It felt like a PBS mystery. Like what's going to happen next was in the was crackling in the air in that production. So it the response wasn't a surprise to me, because Wayne was so amazing, and your the direction was really, really on point. The point of view was, I thought, very, very strong for that. And people expect Hamlet to be this maybe turgid, philosophical, you know, humbling, fumbling man gazing at his own navel for three hours. And it was not that at all. And, yeah. and Wayne brought the audience with him. Yeah. He took your direction. Yeah. And I made one mistake. The actress who was playing Ophelia, when she goes into the mad scene, I wanted the audience to feel the shock that Claudius and Gertrude felt. So I had her rend her garments, and she was naked underneath. She and lifted in them the up. in the first four or five rows of the audience, you got full nudity, and a lot of people complained. And what happened was, it was such a surprise that the audience reacted that they forgot the rest of the production, and we lost subscribers because of it. We lost people who had been longtime subscribers. And I had to apologize to them because I was wrong. I, I think because there was nothing to prepare them for mm. it. And uh, I was trying to be edgy. And I think because I was under such stress at the time, um, I pushed the, the envelope a bit too far. I use that as an example, actually, in my directing class about you, you can lead an audience and you need to lead an audience, but if you, out, if you go too far, you're going to break that relationship you've Trust. established with them. Yeah. And that's what happened. However, the show got great reviews and we got, got good box office. And even though we were in the red for the first couple of years, it was a major saving grace. I quickly have to speak from my point of view about that moment because it remains one of my favorite moments in any theater I've ever seen because it clarified Ophelia and Hamlet's relationship. Not only did I think they loved each other, but I thought that because of that, her vulnerability when she lifted up that costume and her nudity, it literally was in your face that they were it, they were having a functional lover's relationship. And it it added so much pathos for me. I've never, ever forgotten it. I thought it was a brilliant moment. I recognize everything you're saying, and I, of course, support everything you're saying. But I also think artistically, it was a shocking, brilliant moment. And I think speaks to the clarity of the production, the clarity of the point of view production, and I think supports why those good reviews came. Right. But I, it, it also brings up another issue, which is ye, the director is the audience's representative right, right. In, in the rehearsal room. Right. And going back even into the Grove, if I had to do it over again, what would I have spent more time on? I would have spent more time cultivating that audience mm. and becoming more community involved. I, I was so invested in creating an institution that 
and and cred, a credible working theater that I think I didn't, well, I know I didn't spend enough time with the community. And again, it's a mistake I recognize and I, I think is really important for modern theaters today that if you, if you outstrip your audience, if you, if you're not really in sync with them, and I don't mean pander to them, I mean, understand where they're coming from as well. You're going to lose them and, uh, they're not going to come back and they're not going to trust you. But I do think they, they must have, well, well, number one, you do go on to do that. I mean, the, the Christmas show that you develop becomes, for many people, the, you know, the people come back to the audience and say, "This is our Christmas. This is we come to this, and we know Christmas is here." I mean, you did several things that developed that audience, but I also think how that must have been exciting for the audience that did follow you, because there's, I mean, again, from my point of view, Winter's Tale, I get horrible reviews for Autolycus, not good at all. I play Autolycus in Winter's Tale, and then I get a Drama Log Award for Hamlet for playing Horatio. It that. Those two productions had those qualities. You know, the first felt so, I mean, it opens up with this, looks like amateur lighting because the house, the, the lights were left on. And then this incredibly focused Hamlet follows it. I think the audience must have recognized, no, something's happening here. Maybe it's not fully arrived yet, but, but something's happening here. What was your audience like the next year? The second year. Well, we lost some of our subscribing base. Mm -hmm. um, because of the nudity and the shock? Yeah, I think that was part of it. But also part of it was the problem of parking at the university. Mm -hmm. That was one. And the other thing was, is it wasn't outdoors. Mm -hmm. And one of the things about creating the festival, and we haven't talked about, was the pre-show on the green mm -hmm. and the people picnicking. I mean, it became an elaborate thing. Yeah. There, was, there was one group that would come with candelabras and waiters and would have an elaborate <laughs> dinner out in the park before the show. And uh, it was a huge draw and became more and more popular all of the time. There wasn't that same sense of festival as there was at the Grove. And so it was, you know, people would say, well, yeah, I like the show, but it's not the same. And I, I think, that was a valid thing. And then because there was such strict parking around the university, people were getting $50 parking tickets and that, that started to kill us. That, that eventually wore it down. Um, and later on when I almost shut the whole thing down in the first iteration, it was because of the fact Chapman hadn't dealt with the parking yet. It, it has since then. And there's, a very clear and cogent way to park on campus and it's very easy and it, there's no, you know, it's, it, it would have been a godsend if I'd had that then. Yeah. All those buildings weren't even right. dreamed of much right. less built at right. that time. Yeah. So that was, that was a major thing. Um, the second season, uh, I think we did, uh, I think we did Julius Caesar, mm -hmm. did we not? Uh, Dan directed. Yeah. And Elizabeth Norman co-directed or assisted. Yeah. Yeah, we did that, and uh, uh, we had a mate. We had John Jones play uh, Cassius. Cassius, and um, uh, John uh, Hertzler, Hertzler, who was famous on Star Trek as General Martok, 
uh, and who had been a re major regional theater actor, uh, came in and uh, played Brutus. I lost my uh, my design, my costume designer uh, after after Hamlet, and um, the costume designs for Julius Caesar were pretty awful, mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, and not at the level that I expected. So that was a disappointment. Um, and did we do Twelfth Night that? that year as well i think we did, did yeah carl directing yeah carl directed Campbell that playing and uh it was alice in wonderland yeah it was an alice in wonderland and again that became a very popular show yeah. so again the caesar again the opening show kind of a little shaky more than a little shaky not good reviews um and then alice in wonderland more popular yeah how is the the what happened to the audience that second year did it grow no, but it, you know, we, you know, we, we were surviving, mm -hmm. we were surviving and on fumes. And I, there, there came a point here where, uh, we got to the third season in 94, somewhere in there where I was worried. I, I had to post a closing notice, uh, and take the two weeks of equity pay and pay the actors. I thought we would get through it, but um, I had, you know, part of the deal, you, you had to post a closing notice and one of the trustees, Roland by donated the proceeds of the sale of a house. And, uh, when he did that, that saved our bacon, kept the theater open and the 30 some thousand dollars that came from the proceeds on the sale of the house canceled our debt and i made a decision at that point that i would no longer take any money out of the company that what i was getting paid for by the university with release credits as my uh, professional work would suffice and that to keep the company going and to make it happen i decided not to take a salary. So you start working for free. Right. Did you ever take a salary after that? No. Uh, I occasionally, every once in a while, if I was doing double duty directing, I would take a directing fee, mm -hmm. but never, never got back to salary. And some of the people who were helping me at the time wanted salaried positions. Um, and it just wasn't going to support that kind of overhead. It just wasn't. So again, it had to be the actors, it had to be uh, the designers, and it had to be the show itself. That's why I was doing it. I wasn't doing it to make a living anymore. My living now is being made as a professor. So, so everybody else is getting paid, um, designers, actors, uh, when you'd have somebody else come in and direct, but not you. Right. <clears throat> Um, so would you call this a labor of love? It became a labor of love. Yeah. And, um, I'm also, then I'd served as, uh, kind of going back digressing. I, I was on the original board of, uh, after I got fired from the Grove where I was the West, I became the West coast representative for the Shakespeare theater association. I called up Sid in Houston and I said, Sid, um, I just got, I resigned my position. I'm starting a new theater company, but I want you to know that I'm no longer representing the Grove Shakespeare Festival. And he said, we, we want you. 
And so he didn't want me to resign. Uh, and that from meant a lot the Shakespeare to me. organization. Right, from yeah. the Shakespeare Theater Association. Were you president then? No, I was I was the Western representative. I was on the board. There was a five-member board. There was an Eastern representative, a Western representative, a president, a vice president. Sid was president. Um, Doug Cook from the Utah Shakespeare Festival was the vice president. Uh, and that was legal. And then we actually, I think, incorporated in Texas, uh, in Houston. And- you know, I became a signator on the original, um, so that we could take money and have fees and stuff like that. So Shakespeare, Orange County. So we get to 1993 or yeah, 93, I think we're doing, this is when we're doing, uh, we're doing Julius Caesar. The Grove is faltering. They hire McDowell. They get ready I think he does a couple of shows. They're getting ready to open King Lear with Alan Mandel playing King Lear. And they're going into their dress rehearsal and the board is there and the board basically says, we have to close. Now, the reason for that, and Barbara Harriman has now resigned, but the reason for that is that they didn't get the $250,000 grant renewed from the foundation in Orange County. And I have to think that part of it, because the original grant was based on the work that I had done all those years, that I was no longer involved. And they had gone through six months at least of bad press that the foundation didn't want to be associated with it anymore. And they didn't see it coming and they spent money. They ended up owing over $500,000. They left people hanging. They left subscribers hanging. They didn't pay their debts. They closed the doors, filed, I don't know what they filed legally, but nobody was going to sue them because they didn't have anything. So they closed the doors and the subscribers had purchased an entire season. Right. And uh, the did, did the Orange mi- County Register came out with a full color picture with you and the company on the front. I still have it. Uh, I have a copy of it in, in my house. And it says, now there are one. Yeah. Now there's I one. that. That was some vindication for I me. I bet. The vindication wasn't so, I was sad to see the Grove close. Of course. But they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't have, they didn't have a really understanding of how it operated. And they, you know, they compartmentalized in a way where they were spending money right and left. And they- they did not have to do what happened to them. Had they used that money judiciously and put it away in the bank to use as a buffer for when bad times came, that would make all kinds of sense, but they didn't, you know, pay off whatever debt they had and then put the rest of the money in a, in a savings account. They didn't do that. They spent it. And that's, it it was so, I don't know. I don't know. It was so tragic. It didn't have to happen. Uh, and that, that hurt. On the other hand, <laughs> it wasn't my fault. Yeah, you're out of that picture. I'm way out of the picture. Yeah. And I didn't have anything to do with it failing. And then there was one. And then there was one. And it's you and your company. It, and it was us. It was, the, it was Shakespeare Orange County. We were there. We were left standing. But I got all kinds of letters and people asking me if I would, 
give them free tickets. Well, I couldn't afford to give them free tickets. What I did was I said, I'll give you a discount. But I don't have that money. The Grove people, the Grove subscribers subscribers got stuck. You to give them free tickets to your theater. Yeah, about 2,500, 3,000 subscribers that they they left hanging. Yeah, my question was, did you get a bump from that? Was there a subscription Um, bump? I I didn't think so, no. There was some, you know, we got some people come, but I, I, people were, felt abused. Yeah. And they felt like they were being taken advantage of, and they were. And, um, you know, it really was, uh, you know, I felt interestingly enough, uh, you know, Stuart got in touch with me before all of this happened. So I had some inkling of what was going on, um, because he didn't know all of the ins and outs and and he was really a nice guy and he had no ax to bear and, uh, he didn't hate me. And, uh, and so we had, uh, we had several good conversations over the phone about, you know, I said, did this happen? Did they do this? And he said, yeah, how did you know? I said, I figured it out. Um, that it was, you know, it was an um, management that they just, it was criminal and they should have been prosecuted. And even in the best of circumstances, that, that relationship between money and the art of theater is always problematic in any theater company because, and and usually the money people don't necessarily have the theatrical background and don't understand what the artistic product has to be and how it connects to an audience so that you get revenue from your audience. So that, that, that dance is, is often problematic with theaters um, kind of almost always. And that, Artistic director, managing director relationship, because of that, I think also can be problematic. So it it must have been a bit of a sigh of, not of relief, but at least, well, you're not in the middle of it anymore, you know, as it as it finally went down. Yeah. But it must have also been very sad for you. Yeah, it was. It was. No theater person wants to see a theater fall apart. No. and And, you know, it's one of the, when I look back on it, I, you know, I, re- I, I sometimes regret having turned in my resignation. However, Shakespeare Orange County wouldn't have happened. And then my, you know, my 33 year career at Chapman university wouldn't have happened mm-hmm. either. So it, I think it turned out personally for me for the best, but it was very pain. It was a very painful process. Yeah. All the way. Yeah. How, um, when do you go tenure at Chapman? Oh, that that happens in later. Thousands, yeah. yeah. Okay. And I wasn't worried about it. Yeah. I, I, you know, I wasn't there for tenure. I actually didn't think I was going to stay very long. <laughs> I remember. Yeah, I thought, well, okay, this is great for now, and let's see what happens. I also thought that you know there was some, there was some interest by various communities for Shakespeare Orange County mm-hmm. moving. Mm-hmm. And so I talked a little bit about that, thinking that that could be a possibility. I was looking for an outdoor venue that could have it. And I actually put in, so in 94, the city goes out for a, what's an RFP, a request for proposal. And I Which turned- city? The city of Garden Grove, because they've got this empty theater. I put in a proposal. They go to- my former managing director at the Laguna Playhouse and ask him what he thinks. 
and he becomes kind of a consultant for them. And he says, steer clear of me. We could have, we could have walked in in 94. Now it happens 10 years later, but in 94, it could have happened um, when they went out for the request for proposal. Two of the people who, well, one of the persons who had been on my staff and who was, I think, involved in creating the downfall of the Grove and then was there to pick up the pieces, founded his own company, and they basically took over the contract. They ran the- At the amp- Grove. At the Grove, and they ran the amphitheater into the ground, and they- you know, they did some fair to middling, had some fair to middling success in the gym. And they, they created their own Grove Theater Company and then also had a theater in Los Angeles. And they were using the Grove to stage shows there and then take them up to LA. Um, but they fell apart as well. Finally, with the Garden Grove era, because there's that whole hard hat yeah. stuff does that come from this period yep it came in can the you 80s talk about when, that a little bit yeah when when the city pulled out one of the councilmen had called garden grove a hard hat community and hard hats weren't interested in shakespeare and what do they mean by hard hat means people anybody who was who working worked class working class yeah. you know hard hat that they that they worked with their hands and and uh uh we're, we're not desk jobs and Ironically, as soon as that came out in the papers, people started showing up in the audience uncalled for with hard hats. Of course they did. Yeah. And so I went out with the then president at the of the association at the time, Bob Dunnick, and we wore hard hats walking out <laughs> on stage asking them to support us. And we actually ended up bringing in more money than the city was supporting us at that time. Now that didn't last, but at least for that year it did. And that was about 1988. Cause as I reflect on all of this, I think that that mentality had, had quite a bit to do with any suspicions they might've had of you because they didn't understand artistically what you were building and they didn't understand financially what that meant because it's a constant financial evolution to, keep adjusting to where the theater company is going. Um, well, and one of the, this, this is ironic goes back. It actually, this goes back into the early days, but when the city council during that, um, uh, first amendment battle was happening, one of the councilmen said, we don't need to, to get culture from, uh, a New York elite. That was me. Well, <laughs> the New York elite was the guy, I mean, in my resume, I, you know, put in that I went in to see Uta Hagen and mm-hmm. HB Studios every Monday when I could. Which was your day off at Which was my day off. In Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania. But I mean, I was born and raised in Southgate, California, which is a step below yeah. Garden Grove, uh, you know, in, in Southeast Orange County. And the idea that anyone would refer to either one of us as elite uh, cracks exactly, me off. <laughs> exactly. And, and, uh, it, 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 but it was a, you know, that, it, cultural elitism yeah you know and i'm about as you know i come from a blue collar background i mean people who didn't even graduate high school so so in through the 90s shakespeare county is continuing to evolve solidify 
Um, what do you do to grow it during that period? This is at, at Chapman, at Chapman University, I think at that yeah, point. Yeah, we're at Chapman University and we're aside the debt yet, but we're getting there. Um, the debt the, for starting. For starting it. Debt. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're running about a $13,000 in the red that, you know, I'm able to sustain, but it's, it's starting to choke us. A Doing little two bit. shows in the summer. Two shows in the summer and then the winter show, this, the, the Christmas show. Which starts when? It starts about this time. Okay, mid-90s. Yeah, because this is where the money, where I needed a fundraiser. Um, and the winter show is a pastiche of Shakespearean material, but also literary material from all over the place that, right. that we would stage in about two days with the company. Yeah. Um, and sometimes run, in those early years, run two weeks i think we did uh and it was volunteer yeah um we would do it yeah, volunteer yeah our and time. it was but it was it was uh community staged reading too. yeah stage reading um but very interactive with the audience right singing at the end um right. and as i said it became quite a staple for it a was very popular and um and we i think we did it got it reviewed if, it got reviewed and the first one got great reviews uh as a Christmas show that the way Christmas should be. Um, and yeah, it, it, well, it actually, it, it happens. It had to happen about, it happened originally, I think in 92 because we, I needed the money and mm -hmm. that to keep things going. And so that became the fundraiser, mm -hmm. uh, at that point, but the Grove closes on the dress rehearsal of King Lear and Alan Mandel doing Lear. And Alan and I had a relationship, talked about the folio, mm -hmm. we talked about merchant. And I told him, I said, I called him up and I basically said, Alan, I will do King Lear. I'll do your King Lear, uh, next summer. Uh, and so he was happy with that. And we opened with Alan in 94 with King Lear. And most of the original acting company is still there. Yes. Yes. Kamala. Uh, Kamala is there. Uh, Kamala this is her Kate. last production. Uh, um, Elizabeth, uh, I had asked to leave because she was she was becoming a bit of a problem and causing some enmity backstage. And Carl yeah. Giardo, though, was there. Carl was there, Dan and Cartmel. Dan Cartmel was there, and, and, I was, he, and you were I there. I played the fool, right? Yeah. And we uh, opened that and got good reviews. The interesting thing was the review actually was kind of mixed. It gave Alan great uh, reviews, and there was a couple of things. I, I had a couple of, uh, you know, they nicked me a little bit in some of the directing of it. But the the but but as sometimes happens, whatever the, whoever put the editorial headline on it made it sound like a major hit and um and we got a lot of response from it we also ended up getting a california arts council grant based on that production and based on the fact that alan was in the production and mm -hmm. that they he was so respected uh that they figured that if this if this company is doing work with that quality of an actor that um they must be worth something so we we got our foot in the door now let me say this about that. Um, 
I never applied for a California Arts Council grant again because I think it was for two thousand or twenty five hundred dollars. It was it was an entry level grant, but the amount of paperwork and follow through that I had to do to get that twenty five hundred dollars was ridiculous. You know, the amount of red tape that was involved, and I I know it's tax money and it's public money, but it and I'm I'm sure it's probably much easier. They probably slimmed it down, but at that time it was ridiculous, and it wasn't worth the 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 recognition was good. The fact that we got it was good in 1994, but the fact that we we uh, th- that I had to do that kind of work to make it to get that money wasn't worth my time. So I figured I'm not going to do this again. And I didn't, I, I never, I never applied for a, a, a council grant, uh, but we did get it. So that was a mark. That was one, that was one of the first things I think for the Enfant new theater company uh, was a feather in our cap. Did that start feeling like the tide had maybe turned for you? Well, <sighs> Again, it's another pound on the back where yeah, you go, okay, yeah. you're, you know, even though they said to me, you know, it's because of Alan, uh, that's okay. You cast him. Yeah. yeah. And I've worked with him before, yeah. you know. And so the equity company was still standing and um, the Shakespeare Theater Association uh, is has an annual conference every year. And I think in 1995, they had it in San Francisco. And I went to, uh, I, I'd gone to, I, for the first 10 years or so, I went to every one of them. But in 1995, one of the speakers was Tina Packer and um, Dennis Krosnick. And from Shakespeare and Company. From Shakespeare and Company in, in Berkshires, in Lenox, Massachusetts. Mm. And everything that Tina said about Shakespeare. Not only I had discovered myself embraced, but I was having somebody talk to me who saw Shakespeare pretty much as I saw it, and who who saw it as being as finding a way to open it up to as many people as possible. And so I was intrigued uh, this about be- this was about direct address. This was about mm-hmm. first folio. This was about. Uh, making contact with the audience, eye contact with the audience, breath, things that that I had already kind of come in contact with. Also, wouldn't it be the actor's emotional relationship to the text? To the text itself, coming from themselves. From their own right. life, right. In other words, when you go see a performance of, you know, I paid a bunch of money to go see Benedict Cumberbatch play Hamlet. Well, I, I, I'd done several productions of Hamlet. I know how the play goes. I don't need to see Hamlet again, but what I need to see is his uniqueness and his, bringing his humanity to that language. That's what's intriguing. And that's, that's why we go to these plays over and over again, because it illuminates things that you have never even thought of. And don't you think that that's kind of a, the central tenet of the Shakespeare and Company training, isn't it? I the, think so. I think it's one of them. Yeah. I mean, you felt like you resonated so strongly with they've, Tina? They've got it. They certainly have a very, and now they've transitioned as well, but um, they have a very deep and connected relationship and their training isn't, you know, a lot of, well, 
won't say a lot, but some theater companies will do training and do it just to make money and, and uh, don't take it seriously enough. It was one of the core points of their uh, mission was to train actors. And in, in their vision of, how, of doing Shakespeare, and one of the things that I walked away from that was there was no right way. There was no correct way. When, how much longer did it take after that for you to go train with them? Well, again, Chapman steps in and gives me a grant. And good old Chapman. Good old Chapman. And uh, I mean, it was one of the reasons to be there, you know, is that take advantage of these things. And in 1998, I went back and spent a month in their month-long intensive. So Chapman gives you a, a, a development grant right? Um, to develop your craft. And, and it changes my world. Yeah. It you changes. Came, it changed how I, it, the fundamental thing it did is it changed how I taught. You came back very different. Yeah. I, I came, I, I was about ready to wrap it up. I, I was burned out by this time with everything that had happened. I, and let me back up just a minute and say that um, Jenna Cole, who came in and played Portia. Uh, wonderful, wonderful local actor. Tremendous. Yeah. yeah who, uh, when we didn't get, I don't know why I stumble on her name, uh, 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 to play Juliet. She comes in to play Juliet and, and Annette Benning. Annette Benning, yeah. So, uh, and becomes a friend and becomes, you know, a terrific actress. And she also does the Scottish play with Carl and playing Lady Macbeth and does a terrific job. Uh, and um, those, I remember those productions uh, very fondly. And when uh, she does Shakespeare, it really sounds like it's coming out of Jenna's mouth. It, it, it sounds like her connection to Shakespeare, which is very close to the Shakespeare and Company ideal as well. She ends up doing Merry Wives with you and I, you mm -hmm. playing Ford and me playing Falstaff. I, I get to spit on you. Yes. <laughs> we get to spit on the audience. S yes. <laughs> spit went everywhere. Um, <laughs> but, which was interesting because I hadn't been on stage. I had, uh, I had been asked to do... <laughs> Dogberry and a Much Ado About Nothing back in 1990, mm -hmm. and I, which I did. And then I did Dogberry again uh, in Much Ado About Nothing uh, at uh, Shakespeare or Shakespeare Orange County. Mm -hmm. So I'd done two Dogberries and then uh, Falstaff came up. And I had originally intended when I started all of this that I was going to do more acting, but it, there was never time. And, I, and to be honest, I mean, reflecting back, after I had done that Lear, I didn't need to act anymore. You know, before then, I had a need to be on stage. After then, I didn't have a need to be on stage. You said it had resolved some issues for you. Yeah, it resolved major issues for me. But so here I am. I mean, I haven't done anything. Uh, I go to Shakespeare and Company. It's a transformative thing for me. And I got link letter work and I got, you know, I I got vocal work, vocal work. I got all kinds of breathing, mm -hmm. uh, physical trainings, physical training and all, but also the fact that there's no right way. Mm -hmm. And, and that was freeing for me because I, I had never had the formal training in an MFA mm -hmm. program. And to hear that come from people who both I respected and whose work was, 
was nationally recognized was freeing. Mm -hmm. And from that point on, it just freed me up. I just went, yeah, okay. A Player King is produced by Roland By, sound design, editing, and engineering by William Georges, directed, curated, and narrated by Elisa Braddock. The music was originally created for productions at Shakespeare Orange County. Mm-hmm.